from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. Today, we are talking with Rashidi Hodari, the Managing Director of Tequila at Beam Centauri. Rashidi, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I couldn't be more excited to be on with you. Um, big fan of Vine Pair and happy to be uh, speaking with you. Tequila is hot as it's ever been. Um, oh, and, dude, totally. And uh, hard seltzers as hard as they've ever been, ready to drink cocktails are as hot as they've ever been. And we've got kind of our irons in all the fires trying to win big in all of those categories. So I can't, I can't wait to talk to you just sort of about, you know, from a from managing director's perspective on how you look at the market. Cause you know, this, uh, these specific podcasts get listened to a lot by people in the industry. So um, insights from you are going to be awesome to, to sort of unearth here. Uh, yeah. But before we jump into that, so what does the role of managing director of tequila mean? It's everything from like setting the long-term vision for what we're going to do with our products in the category, how our brands are going to be developed, um, what we're going to make and how we're going to win across, across the globe in tequila. And what are your brands? So um, we have a, a wide range. I like to say it's like a d- d- uh, democratized uh, set of opportunities for tequila. So everything from the ultra premium El Tesoro, super premium, we have Tres Generaciones. Uh, in the premium segment, we have uh, Hornitos uh, tequila, and then we also have Salsa tequila. Okay, cool. And how has, has Beam Centauri always been in the tequila game or how long has tequila been part of the portfolio? You know, for Beam Centauri, it's always been. Beam Centauri is a relatively young company. It's been around yep. five years. Five years, uh, right, yeah. When uh, Centauri effectively acquired Beam. Um, but it became a stand-up company. As part of that, Beam uh, had always had Sousa. At least it had it um, for a significant number of years before that. And so we've had Sousa. And, and if you know the history of um, tequila, Sousa is one of the founding mm-hmm. families, you know, one of the originals. We actually produce our tequila at the original site of where the first tequilas were ever produced in Mexico to this day. So uh, our brands have been around and have been part of the tequila, creating the tequila industry uh, from the very beginning. Interesting. So then Hornitos, El Tesoro, those all came after the acquisition? No. So it's a, you know, if we go into the history of, uh, of the, of the brands, Hornitos, mm-hmm was effectively uh, a, launched as a as a uh, as a brand that was for premium tequila for the everyman okay um, and it and it was originally part of the Salsa family but it was spun off uh, as its own brand from from Salsa and then Trace Gin is essentially a a super premium tequila that effectively allows takes tequila to places where it hadn't gone at the time. So um, those are all part of one family. We call okay. it our brand house, and we've had that as part of our portfolio. And as the as the market has uh, shifted and consumers um, have come to learn more about tequila, we, we've uh, placed our bets on the on our premium part of our portfolio. El Tesoro is a is a di- it's from a different family from the Camarena family. And um, they have a long history of making very high quality uh, tequilas as well. And as 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 we have developed and as the category has grown, we've put more support and emphasis around making sure people um, understand all the, all the tequila has to offer. So we're trying to win across all of those different segments. Interesting. Yeah, El Tesoro def- always performs really well in our uh, in our tastings, um, especially. Um, it's a really good tequila. And how long? So and that's also been inside the Beam Centauri family for at least a few years, right? 
Yeah, I think it's been close to 10 years. So um, we've, uh, we've had it. We've had a long-term relationship with them. Cool. So obviously, you know, you, you open by saying, you know, tequila's on fire. Um, we obviously know that. It's like, uh, you know, all of our data through Vinepair Insights has shown for the last few years that tequila is just trending up, 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 up. The only thing it really, um, you know, ever seems to lose to is bourbon, which good for you guys because you basically, you know, <laughs> that's the other thing you guys have. But I'm curious, what do you think is the reason for tequila's just dominant explosion in the last few years? Um, I think it's been a slow, slow burn, so to speak. Um, I think it's it's not a category that kind of came out of nowhere. It's been around. Right. Um, but I think to a certain extent, because, um, you know, it initially wasn't something that people looked at with fondness, you, you have uh, in, in fondness in terms of expectations of what the quality was. So as as you effectively had Patron uh, set the table, you know, more than 15 years ago of like tequila can be more than just kind of uh, cheap alcohol, uh, they set the table of like a reappraisal. And that reappraisal has happened year over year over year with new people coming into the category. And the recognition is like the products are very, very good and they meet a, a lot of different demands. If you look at how consumers consume the product in Mexico, it's very telling to show that like it is very much democratized. Like there's not an occasion, there's not a, a a time for alcohol consumption that doesn't offer a way in for tequila from from high end to everyday to sessionability. Tequila can find a way in, and that versatility I think is what creates a lot of opportunities, especially in the United States where. There's a lot of comp- competition. There's a lot of demand. But um, as that reappraisal happens, people can find a way in. They can find a, a tequila that meets their their needs. Do you think that like this, that there is an association with tequila amongst consumers as being sort of a, a purer spirit or a better for you spirit than other alternatives? I think that along the, along the path over the last few years – as health and wellness trends have kind of um, increased and people get much more knowledgeable about what they're putting in their bodies, um, tequila offers uh, a, a very credible set of product attributes, if you will, that mm-hmm. um, that lend itself with high credibility to that. But at the end of the day, it is alcohol. So it's, right. it's, it's the balance of like the what you want from a spirit, um, but also having the benefits that come from all the associations with agave. So I think it, it gets it gets the benefit of both of those. Um, and then people have to make a judgment call of kind of what's going to tip them over the edge in one direction or another. Mm-hmm. So obviously we're moving beyond, you know, the decades ago idea that it was, you know, lime salt shot kind of liquid and into, you know, it is a really fine, you know, high-end sipping liquid, cocktail liquid, et cetera. Um, I mean, obviously everyone is super aware of the margarita as the number one cocktail in America, um, you know, thing that people drink a lot. But what else are you seeing on your end, you know, dealing with consumers and positioning, you know, El Sosorio, Hornitos, et cetera, in terms of cocktail search for, for um, tequila? Are there certain cocktails you're seeing trending more than others? And if so, which ones are those? And again, besides the margarita, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I... Um... 
I, I could probably get into like the, the top cocktails. The first thing that comes to mind is the Paloma, but I, I, I don't want to overlook the margarita and the margarita's versatility and the flexibility right. and then the nuance and the kind of just the ability to make it with a Plata, a Repo, and an Añejo is very different. Like which liqueur you add to it, um, whether it's flavored or whether it's uh, something that's very refined and high quality. We're seeing increases of, uh, of cognacs being added to margaritas. Um, so th there's no limit to the, to the, I call it the fascination of having your kind of custom and ideal margarita. It's part of the reason why we're launching a new lineup of, of, of margaritas uh, with Hornitos. And then additionally, the other element is like, you can talk about cocktails all you want. Like, even though uh, we've moved away from salt, lime, and a shot, shots mm -hmm. are still number one consumption of tequila. Like at the end of the day, um, that's still a big part of the category's DNA. And like people uh, associate taking shots and having fun and letting loose. And like that is a, it, it, I think in the past it was a bit of a albatross that kind of made people a little bit hesitant. I think it also in these times with the pandemic and kind of with the pressures that are going on, like people want that freedom. They want to release. And like, that's why we have our shop worth taking campaign. That's why we have, um, you know, the shot fund to kind of help inspire people to live their best lives effectively. Um, it's also why we have a thing called uh, a fair shot on Hornitos where we support folks taking uh, the steps to become American citizens, because we know that living your best life and getting after it day to day is, is a meaningful thing that tequilas have brought to called the experience that people have when they go out to bars and restaurants, but it should be something that is available to everybody. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's super cool. And as, as the sort of the shot campaigns been always stuff that Hornitos has, has done and pushed forward. I mean, we've been doing this for a few years and I think it came, uh, it comes out of the idea of, I, I gave a little bit of overview of kind of the history of the brand and how it was set up to be uh, effectively a premium tequila for the everyman. And, but it was based on the idea that like, you know, uh, we make a really good tequila and like everybody has not had it. We should find a way to get it to them. And I think, so it's one of the reasons why we're on the, we were one of the first brands, uh, to export our tequila to the United States. Um, and it's one of the reasons why we believe like you have to, the power of the brand is in unlocking people's ability, their human potential, their ability to kind of go for go for what's next in life to take a chance on things and so we make sure that when we do programs we, whether it's a fair shot with uh supporting immigration or the shot fund where we're supporting entrepreneurs um mm -hmm. that we're being a catalyst for them making contributions in the world and i think that's one of the things that is also interesting about tequila which is like there's an energy there that um that people gravitate towards and we want to be make sure that we're we're contributing in a meaningful way um, to that experience and not just making it something like something that they regret in the morning. Makes total sense. That makes complete, complete sense. So let's talk a little bit about like other innovations happening with tequila. So obviously, you know, the, the other big trend besides tequila that's been booming in the United States is hard seltzer. And I've been always sort of surprised that we haven't seen more, you know, hard seltzers um, that are spirits based. Obviously, you know, there is one high noon, which is killing it. Um, but, but, you know, there's not, there haven't been a lot more yet, but that is changing. And I think one of the most interesting aspects is 
combining a spirit that's on fire, right? Tequila with the sort of seltzer world. Uh, and you guys have just released that with the, the Hornitos hired seltzer. Can you talk about how that decision came to be and sort of what, you know, what you were looking at in order to determine that you wanted to create a hard seltzer and then how that is sort of fitting into the the brand family? Yeah, I, I, I'd love to. I mean, I, it's funny because um, as a bit of an aside, I mean, we're on this, uh, we're on, on a podcast, but this is, we've been living life in a virtual world for like the last year where yep. Zoom calls. And um, I can think back to some meetings that we had uh, about a year ago discussing what our brand's aspirations were and what we needed to do. And it really came down to like trying to not just ride the wave of, of the success in, in the tequila category or seeing kind of the wave that was also moving in hard seltzers, but saying like, how do we need to act? How do we need to behave? And what shots do we need to take as a company and as a brand to live our values in a way that helps us make our decisions and, and make choices about what we did? And we said, you know what? Like most most spirits brands and most premium brands will will shy away from kind of going outside of their lane. They want to be really good at what they do. And I think that's totally respectable. But as a brand, Hornitos uh, stands for taking shots. And like, this is a one where... Um, people love tequila. People love seltzers. People love putting uh-huh. tequila in their seltzers. And like, if you want to get after it and you want to give enable people to um, and inspire people, like take a shot on yourself, right? And I think that's that ethos of taking a shot on ourselves and believing that we can uh, stand next to the biggest players in um, in hard seltzers, whether it's spirit based or not, and have like a, a reason to exist that tequila and soda, tequila and seltzer, tequila and uh, um, and tequila combined with those um, the, that adjacent category is a winning proposition, and we just have to do it in the in the most bold and ambitious way as possible. And that required, you know, getting buy in in the organization, getting everybody lined up, and like making sure it's very clear that we're not dipping our toe into this. Like we, if you look at the package, you see Hornitos is the biggest thing on there. It's because we want right. people to be proud. And we want to be proud that this is a Hornito seltzer. Like that, at the end of the day, we want to we want to um, we want to drive that passion in everything that we do, and we want it to come across. And we want people to be proud uh, to pick it up, to hold it, to drink it, to to pass it on to the next person. So, when you were developing the seltzer, were you how much were you guys thinking about calorie count? How much were you thinking about calorie count in, in especially in respect to flavor? Because I know that that's something that I've talked to other people about as well who've developed seltzer brands. That like no one's really sure if seltzers exploded because of calories or because of flavor. And so you see now new brands who are sort of pushing more flavor, which often comes with higher calories and they're wondering if they're going to be successful. So what, what did you, what kind of conversations did you have around that? We said, it's got to taste good. It's got to be awesome. And you got to want, people got to want to talk about it. Like at the end of the day, if you just go to let's say the table stakes of like what's going on in the category, hitting a certain level of ABV, hitting a certain calorie count, and having spirits in it, and like being quiet about your flavor and how, what it, it's, it, it you're going to get lost in the masses. And so we said like, what's the what's the boldest way we can go out and like make sure people love the way that it tastes? And ultimately, we found that that difference was potentially like ten calories or fifteen calories that. You know, we're not expecting people are going to drink 15 of these. You know, a couple of them is fine. And like, right. that's the, that we want people to be proud to drink these for that, for that couple of cocktails we're going to have in the evening. Right. And so um, we thought about it, but we made, 
we made uh, you know deliberate choices about going with something that's going to taste good. You know, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So you have a bunch of brands who, you know, obviously want to be able to be sold everywhere, right? Grocery, et cetera. So they took the brand name, but they went with a malt base. Was that ever a consideration for you? Or are you guys okay that it might be a little bit harder for the consumer to get Hornitos as easily as maybe, you know, a White Claw or things like that? Um, I think it's a consideration. I think it's just, you know, being mindful in, you know, Knowing the the depth of the, your listener and sort of audience, I think appreciation for the three tiered system is something that you can't really operate in spirits without like fully appreciating the complexities of the three tier system. Yeah, and so we we're mindful that that there is a call it a ceiling on where we can get. Now, there's an element of like the the price structure that also comes through. So I think we took that into account, but we also recognize like. We want people to appreciate it. And I think it also gives us a little bit of license. Uh, as I was saying, we have uh, a partnership with On The Rocks, a brand that we acquired last year where we have a Hornitos Margarita. We're launching mm-hmm. a Hornitos Margarita that um, that is spirits-based, right? So like, we, we want to basically make sure that when you have a tequila, a desire for a premium tequila experience, you know if you're picking up something that has Hornitos on it, that that's a pr- premium tequila experience. Right, there's actually tequila in it. Okay. Yeah, so we want to make sure that that was consistent because our vision was bigger than just seltzers. It was like when you want a premium tequila experience and you want to, um, you know, have a good time and like enjoy yourself. Like we want to make sure that the brand connects to that and uh, and 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 then allows us to live the virtues of of why the brand exists in the first place. Got one more like sort of hot button question for you, uh, and that is right. So there's obviously in the past six months to a year. Um, I mean, it's been happening for much longer than this, but um, there's been a lot more attention paid to the amount of celebrity tequila that's entering the category. Um, And, you know, while some people would say that that's because of, uh, you know, George Clooney and his billion dollar buyout, right? We actually published an article, you know, in this month that basically also looks at that actually that could have been well before that. If you look at, you know, uh, Sammy Hagar and Cabo Wabo and just this idea of celebrities, you know, really supporting tequila at the end of the day, you know, there are definitely brands that think it's good for the category and brands think it's bad for the category or sort of helps it is muddying the category. And there's definitely a lot of backlash from trade. Um, do you guys have an opinion there? What do you think about this sort of this massive expansion of celebrity tequila? I'll go back a little further. I think um, I think his name is John Paul DiGiorgio, Joria, uh, who you know was the founder of Paul Mitchell, but was very yeah. much integral in the development of Patron and and bringing super premium tequila to to the West Coast culture and like making it part of celebrity culture. And like, there's no way you can look down upon like that spotlight that was created because people took something that people put their blood, sweat, and tears into um, and and put a bigger spotlight on it. Now, there's a lot of, I think I, I read a portion of the, of the article, but there's a lot of like ways in which appropriation can happen and not, mm-hmm. not, not appreciating kind of what, what, what went into creating tequila as a having a denomination of origin. And, and so I, on my side, at least, I respect that people see the value in it. And I think it actually pays back to, our founders, Don Sinovio, Don Eladio, and, and Don Francisco, who were essentially the the, uh, the family, along with some others in the industry, that fought for the creation of you know the denomination of origin. You know the fact that only you can only make 100% tequila in Mexico, having 
organized. Now, if you go to the trade, you know, one step further, you know, they, if you look at Mezcal, there, there's critics of what they did, right? So they weren't perfect individuals by any stretch, but they created effectively set up what we're effectively benefiting from today. And so I I feel a little bit like where maybe we haven't done our job as the non-celebrity tequilas to actually tell the true story of how this industry got created and what work went into it. Um, That's why we spend a lot of time thinking about um, what does it take to get people actually down to Jalisco, to get them to tequila, to get to experience what it actually looks like to be there. Um, we're, we're working on a partnership to develop a museum down there to tell the true history of like what it, what it went through. And um, it's exciting to me. So I, I, I think I welcome more people coming in because I think we have a strong story to tell that is rooted deeply in, um, in like actually what happened to create this, this phenomenon that we're living now. But, but at the same time, um, I recognize that, you know, just living in the past and trying to kind of only think about what things happened in the past is, is, is kind of a fantasy world. And that, you know, I'm very happy to see people getting excited about tequila in whatever way that they want to. Um, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm just ecstatic to be in a place where I can contribute to um, such a phenomenal industry and uh, work on a category that... Um, has so much uh, going for it. I mean, that's that that makes sense to me. Well, Rashid, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Uh, it's really cool to hear about sort of your role uh, at at Beam Centauri, uh, all the the cool innovations you guys are doing around tequila, and just talk tequila more generally. So, so thanks so much. Um, appreciate it. I can't wait to get out there. And when I see uh, when next time I'm around, I'll, I'll look you up and we'll find a time to grab a grab a couple shots of tequila, maybe a margarita. Yeah, man, that'd be great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.